Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. On the show today, well, just a big show. First of all, it's very hard to top last week's show. I know. Where the line of the week, I think, was probably this. I saw, um, I call it edible excrement. Uh, I saw candy kitten crap and puppy poop. That, of course, is Susan Olson. <laughs> and it's all very pretty. And I designed the artwork on the boxes. I, I would love for, you know, my, my poop to just go all over the place. And uh, <laughs> make tons of money. There you go. That was Susan Olson from last week. Too, Susan week. Olson was Cindy Brady. You don't think of Cindy Brady Ooh. talking about poop. what done happened to Cindy's career? I know. It's gone <laughs> Let to me the guess. Pooper. She's single. She's single. Let me guess. She has a lot of cats. I understand. Uh, today, then we're going to talk to Brian Barzak. Now, he is the snake man. I think he has like 30,000 snakes. Ugh. And uh, he has a show on TV and a web show, and we'll, we'll speak to him in just a few minutes. Also on the show today, and we talked about this a few weeks back, Mark Gomer, he puts these protection dogs in schools. Wow. Mm-hmm. After the Sandy Hook incident, it came to him that he, he thought maybe instead of the security guards, maybe if these dogs were in the schools, they would deter these incidences mm-hmm. from happening. Let me just say, we have just begun to tap into the wealth of dogs. People are finally starting to understand that dogs are amazing. Did you see the story last week? This dog was allowed into a surgery. Into a surgery. This girl had I a surgery that. done. Wow. And the dog was in the operating room because he can detect changes in her body before the machines can. The nurse was saying, this dog knows when there's a change in, in her blood pressure and, and, and there's a change in her stability before the machines tell us. Now, was this so we the, allowed him in there. Was this the girl's dog or just a dog that's allowed into different surgeries? It was the girl's dog, but girl's he's, he's dog. just... He's wow. highly sensitive to changes in her body and can detect the changes a minute or two before the actual machines can that are hooked up to her Jeez. while she's going through a surgery. Well, don't hey, they dogs say there's dogs that can actually detect some forms of cancer oh. just by sense of smell? Bladder oh, cancer, yeah. no, that's a fact. And breast that's cancer. A fact. Yeah, they can smell. Now, did you also see, guys, did you see the story of the blind guy, who the uh, the old seeing eye dog? And he, he uh, passed out on the mm-hmm. subway tracks, fell on the tracks, and the dog did everything he could to pull him out of harm's way. Yep. Just, just incredible stories. So yeah, I mean, I've always thought that dogs were the answer to schools. Always thought that they were the perfect solution for everyone. Hopefully this guy will explain it to me. I know that it costs a lot to put these animals in the schools and I want to find out all about that in just a couple of minutes right here on Animal Radio. Dogs do amazing do that. They Ca- are amazing. Cats too, you know, all of our animals and that's what this show is about. We're celebrating our animals right now. I'm Miss Stacy Cohen working hard in the Animal Radio newsroom. What do you got? Well, it looks like in Italy, some pigs are a little ticked off that they aren't being chosen for salami. They protested right outside of Parliament. I'll give you the details coming up on Animal Radio News. See, pigs are huh? dumb. What other animal's going to protest not being killed and eaten? I mean, who's, <laughs> what, what's going on with that? What, aren't I good enough? Hey, John, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. What's going on? Well, not much. Just driving through the farmlands in South Georgia right now. Are you OTR? Uh, you truck driver? No, no. I'm a... I'm a I'm driving a pickup truck, but not a large truck. Now we're just visiting a friend out here on a on a farm. We're just going to visit, doing the holiday thing. So what's going on? You got problems with your dog, I guess, or cat? No, I, my, my wife and I have been looking for a lab. We want to get a lab door, and we've been reading and seeing some dogs that are called apartment size labs, or one one outfit calls them canoe size. They're 
somewhere between the 35 and 45 pound range. They're smaller than, I guess, the standard lab. And I didn't know if that was a particular breed or, or what. And I'm just trying to find out more information and see if you all knew anything about that. Well, you know, the, the one thing that it seems like every breed that I encounter, there's always a, a goal and an effort to make the mini one. <laughs> so there, <laughs> there's always these like super mini breeds. Um, now, anything outside of what they call the breed standard uh, for the Labrador is still a Labrador, but it's just outside of the size and the weight standard. Um, but yeah, there are some fe- f- some folks that are striving to try to miniaturize uh, the Labrador because, you know, they like the lab and they're just looking for a smaller dog. Um, you, you know, I, it depends on what's important to you. Um, for me, I, I kind of like the, the standard of what a, a Labrador is. Um, if you're just looking for a smaller dog, I, I, I actually look at some of the breed mixes that are out there. Um, yeah. you know, at the pound, there's some really wonderful lab mixes you can get that give you that smaller size, but you still get a lot of that quality and the character of the lab. Um, but it's basically kind of the same thing, but some breeders are kind of breeding smaller in an effort to try to, to get to that zone there. And, and Dr. Uh, Debbie, don't you have to be careful with, I mean, you, you really should know a breeder really well because a lot of them, a lot of them are great. And a lot of them, you know, they'll just breed any two dogs to get an outcome they want over and over and over again, sometimes close in, in relation. And, and you get dogs that uh, are predisposed to certain conditions and that are a lot more frail and fragile, don't you? Well, yeah. And actually, in the Labrador Retriever, um, there is actually a dwarfism uh, gene. So that's a genetic defect. And sometimes when we're breeding for super small um, along that line, we can actually end up seeing that um, mutation come up. So um, unfortunately, I do know of some people that actually wanted a little um, lab, were looking specifically for it, and they got it. They actually got a, a dog that was a dwarf. Um, not necessarily where you want to go, because there's there's bound to be other types of health problems when you do that kind of narrow, focused breeding. Um, you know, I guess, Depends on, uh, like I said, depends on what you like. I have a small lab. She's 58 pounds. She's very lean. That's She's kind small? of small. She is. Holy moly. 58 is a small lab. Now, my other lab is, you know, 78, 85 pounds, but he's all muscle. And and they're very different. They come from different lines. My female comes from a hunt trial line. And, you know, this is the typical, even some of the males were just a little bit larger than that. Um, so a lot, if you look at what the people are breeding, what the size of the animals are through many generations, and then even, you know, if you like little dogs, females generally are about 10 to even 20 pounds, sometimes lighter than the males in the same litter so that that may be one way you get a little or a pup as well yeah. okay well so just be careful with the breeder and maybe look at the female breed and be better off that, that route yeah just yeah. get to and know get to know the breeder get to know the okay. breeder and how much they care about what what they're doing go over to where they are because you know there's some breeders that say i'll meet you down at walmart if they say that <laughs> not a good breeder and, and I have okay. to say, the, the, the internet-derived dogs, sometimes you can get some, some fine dogs, but um, you know there are certain lists on the internet that I won't say what the lists are, but sometimes there's a lot of lemons that come out of those lists where you can get a pup off the offline. But I can, I, can, I can tell you, I mean, a lot of people are, are hung up on the, you know, the pedigree thing, the one breed. I love mixed-breed dogs. You, you get such great dogs. I, mean, I had an Airedale Shepherd. I've got a Lab Shepherd now. and uh, I mean, it's just they're so much fun. They're durable. They're smart. They live a long time. You get all kinds of great things when you mix breed dogs and you find dogs like that. You just have to wait until a good litter comes up, and then you just go watch them and spend time with them, and you can figure out which one would be best for you. Okay. Thanks, thanks good, for the help. Good luck with that, John. Send us pictures when you get your dog. We want to sure see. Will. Aren't uh, mutts 
healthier, Dr. Debbie? You know, in general, yeah, there's something called hybrid vigor. And it's the idea that when you mix two extreme genetic selections and you mix them together, you actually hopefully get good of the good of both breeds and you're diluting out the bad of both breeds. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to that. It's not always a precise science, but uh, I'm a fan of mods. Ever since I got Foss, I'm, I'm totally sold on the little mongrels. Me too. <laughs> I've never had a, you know, a single breed dog. They've all been mixed and I just, it's just so wonderful. You know what? I, an Airedale Shepherd is absolutely the best dog there is and that it's so hard to find an Airedale and a German Shepherd that get together and if you do, what a great dog that is. Oh my gosh. He was such a great dog well you lucky dog don't forget you can get your fix of animal radio anytime you want with the animal radio app for iphone and android it's made possible by fear free happy homes helping your pets live their happiest healthiest fullest lives at home at the vet and everywhere in between visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com and thanks fear free for underwriting animal radio Vinny Penn coming at you, your resident party animal on Animal Radio. Can I ask you a question? Why is it that your goldfish always die when you go on vacation? Now you know you know you know what I'm talking about. You've taken care of them all year. You're six and you've managed to keep them alive for the past year, and yet you go away for a week and come back, A, either to the sob story of the year from some relative you never see or friend of your mother's who was given the job of feeding the bat or B to a fish that doesn't look remotely like Pokemon, the fish that you uh, left a week before. As a sidebar, that's something right there. If you are going to care for your friend or family member's child's fish, take a look at them. You know, if you're going to so choose to starve him for a week and just figure on replacing him because you're a cold, callous person like that, and mom has overlooked that fact during the hiring process, you could still take a look at him so you know what you're replacing him with. Nothing worse for a six-year-old to come back to find his goldfish and you've replaced him with a piranha. So, yes, please, if you're going to murder the goldfish, replace it with a goldfish. Isn't that a crazy concept? But I don't know what it is. If if every time you hear, oh, the the fish died, we think Grammy overfed him. Well, I can see that. Grammy overfeeds me every time I stay with her. I didn't know you could really die from that. That's always the excuse that your goldfish was overfed. Now, this comes from a real place. When I was six, seven years old, I had two goldfish, Cheech and Chong. When I came back, there was just one big fat fish in the tank. Not two, one big fat, clearly different fish, in which my brother, of course, uh, in a continuing effort to torment me, informed me that Cheech had eaten Chong. But I still didn't buy it since it wasn't even the same color. It took years to unravel the mystery. All of us have that long-standing pet incident from our youth that has taken years to uncover what's going on. And that was my, it took years finally for my mother's best friend, Lenny, to say, look, the, the, the fish died. I didn't know what to do. I had missed the day. I just went and bought you a new fish. Wasn't that nice of me? The classic, uh, well, what about me? You know, I felt terrible. Here you were, my best friend's son, and I killed your fish. What about me? And you're sitting there like, 
I don't know. What about Cheech and Chong? <laughs> I'm Vinny Pad, Party Animal, Animal Radio. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. This is Animal Radio. Let's take another call for Dr. Debbie. We have Tony on the phone. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hi. What's going uh, on? I'm calling because my daughter had originally two dachshunds, and then uh, she had a litter of five, then went on to have, and she kept them. Then she went and had another litter of five. So she had a total of 12, only gave one away because she doesn't have the heart to give any of them away. She, she doesn't know. have the heart to give them away? Okay. No, she loves them dearly, and uh, I don't know. She said that um, she, when she was younger, I had given away her dog, and she was very heartbroken, so she quit. Hmm. So let me she get this straight. You have 11 dogs? Or her daughter, your daughter has 11 dogs? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So the first thing I would say is the benefits of spaying and neutering here. I cannot stress enough that we need to intervene and, and we need to get some help for, for her household because there is no reason to have repeated breedings um, just for the experience or because she loves dogs. Um, you know, we have to make sure well, we have reasons. She didn't want that to happen. Well, it's going to happen. Dogs do that. <laughs> they will reproduce when given the option and the opportunity. It is our job as their human caretakers to make sure that doesn't happen. So we need to take those steps. So whether you have to walk her in to a veterinary office and help get her that help that she needs in making that connection and to make that determination. Um, you know, now some people might be able to keep 11 dogs and to care for them appropriately, but my general feeling is that that is too many dogs for one household, um, unless you have support. Now, Octomom and, you know, all those people who have multiple births can attest that you need help to take care of that many beings, whether they're human or animal. So that would be yeah. my concern. So, um, yeah, yeah, we need she to. Does, uh, have some, you know, she can't, she has people come in, but, uh, I'm still totally against it and I can't seem to, you know, talk her into giving any away. In the meantime, not to mention the cost, and, um, you know, I tell her selfish because there isn't any way that you could give enough attention to all those dogs either, besides, exactly. you know, amongst many other things. But um, would you say, well, the male should be all neutered or... Absolutely. That is the, probably the easiest place to start, is to get those boys taken care of. Now... Uh, other than the, the females, right. 
Well, I mean, that's usually an easier fix, if you will, uh, for many households. So that would be one thing to do. Now, the thing that I think we need to really talk about is that you, you've mentioned that, you know, these dogs may not be getting the care that they need. Now, dogs are social creatures, and they really do thrive on interactions with people. And it is pretty difficult, if not impossible, for one person to provide that level of closeness and that social bonding that a dog needs to be really you know, happy and to thrive in their environment. So that would be one big selling point that I would say for her. But I will be honest with you. I think we need to get some help for your daughter in the human health care field um, because this has toned to me of a possible hoarding situation. And the situation in that veterinary and human health care person to help her out and to see, because as if I were face-to-face with her, you know, we could say, okay, why isn't your dog spayed or neutered? Let's go through this. What are the risks? What are the risks of having 11 dogs in the house, not alone fights, infectious disease, parasite control, all of these things, social um, situations just due to overcrowding, all of these things play a role. Whether we want to look at them and recognize them right. or not, they will be there. Right. Uh, parasites is something I also read that the owners, the humans, can contract them from their pets. Absolutely. It is is totally possible. So, and that's why there's communities that have animal ordinances. There are regulations. So you don't have 25, 40 dogs because it's hard to meet their needs and it can be a human health care risk. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, we really need to not worry about hurting her feelings. We really need to worry about getting those pets out of there and then hopefully getting the help that she needs to recognize this behavior and, um, you know, hopefully turn that around there. Good luck with that. We appreciate your call today and and wish you all the best of luck. It's a tough situation you have to deal with there, but I I know you're going to do the right thing. Yes, I really thank you for your help, and I'm going to try to resolve this, hopefully. Let us know how it goes. Okay. It's Alan Cable. Have you heard about Doga? Good boy. It's a new yoga class for you and your dog. Robin's a dog trainer in New Jersey. Her friend Karen, a yoga instructor. I knew that I enjoyed it, and when Robin and I were practicing with our own dogs together, we noticed the benefits on our own dogs. It's pretty interesting. A yoga class you can take with your dog. It's been wonderful. That might work for some dogs. Others like to chase things and run around. The most common behavioral problems I hear about are jumping, excessive barking, chewing, going to the bathroom in the house, attention-seeking all the time, and hyperactivity. Most of the time, it's because folks don't understand their dogs. Dogs are always looking for your attention. Positive attention, negative attention. They don't care. Take the dog that goes ballistic whenever somebody walks by the window or he sees a bird or a car, a leave, his own nose in the reflection. What do most people do when that happens? Well, they react to it, of course. They start having a conversation or sometimes they get angry and start yelling. But what they're really doing is giving their dog attention. They're teaching the dog that every time he barks at the window, he's going to get attention. So he keeps doing it. Another big concern for people is hyperactivity. Dogs are like marathon runners. They're athletes. Dogs need to get their energy out. They're meant to run and jump, wrestle around. It's how they release energy. It's their nature. They have to do it. And if they don't have a way to do it, well, you're going to have trouble. A tired dog is a happy, calm, relaxed dog. And a tired dog is also a calm dog owner. Your dog needs daily exercise, structure, which means rules, 
And a very important element is attention, when and how you give it. Here's another example. Let's say your dog is outside in the yard barking at somebody walking past the fence. You start going kooky yelling at him, telling him to stop. Because dogs are pack animals, it's most likely he thinks you're actually joining in. You're barking and yelling at the person walking by on the other side of the fence, too. Living with a dog is like living with another person. You've got to learn to understand them, what their behavior says and what it means, and the proper way to respond to it. Get more tips at AnimalRadio.com. Need a fix of the good stuff? Get more Animal Radio with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind. And they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Stacy Cohen for Animal Radio. Pigs were rallying outside the Italian parliament. They all got together because farmers are upset about so-called fake salami that isn't made in Italy. The farmers brought the pigs to the city as an act of protest. Italian farmers paraded small little pink pigs outside of parliament, declaring they were being driven to ruin by hams and salami that were sold as made in Italy but actually produced elsewhere. The agriculture sector has long been in decline in the Eurozone's third largest economy. Farmers say it's undermined by counterfeit products and low-quality foreign food that's merely processed in Italy. The farmers were urging passerbys to adopt one of the pigs. The group says the meat production industry provides about 105,000 jobs in an economy where unemployment's at a record high, so they've launched a campaign to encourage Italians to buy national products. Dozens of whales have been stranded in shallow water in Florida's Everglades National Park, and they finally have moved to deeper water. They seem to be um, diving well and breathing well, which are all which are all really good things, and they're headed in the right direction. Liz Strafford with NOAA and other wildlife officials are cautiously optimistic that the remaining whales will find their way to deep open water after nearly a dozen died in the mass stranding. Scientists monitoring them say whales stay together so the move toward deeper water could actually help their chance for survival. Well, a chef in China's on the mend after he was poisoned while preparing a meal of snake meat. Everybody's favorite. According to China Daily, he was cutting the head off a cobra at a restaurant in southern China when the snake's venom hit him in the face. Can you imagine that? It, like if you were at Benihana's and they start chopping up this snake meat or whatever. I guess Benihana's just serves fish, not snake meat. At least here in the U.S. Doctors later explained that the venom can enter somebody's bloodstream through the eyes or through cuts, which explains why the chef's eyes immediately started hurting and his lower jaw began to swell. He was rushed to a nearby hospital where doctors were able to save him with timely treatment. I'm Stacy Cohen. Get more animal breaking news at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. It's Alan Cable with real dogs doing amazing things. This one only weighs 10 pounds. Me and my little sister were making mud pies, and I hear a hiss and a rattle, and I look down, and there's a snake. These two kids were inches away from a venomous rattlesnake. He was already curled up. He was coiled and ready to strike, and he tried to, but his bite missed its mark. Tycho, he got in front of me, and the snake bit him. This little 10-pound dog took a rattlesnake bite in his right eye. 
I mean, he saved her life. This family is so thankful. All they can do now is wait for the swelling to go down to see if the dog's eye will be okay. Another amazing story out of Baltimore when police were called about a vicious pit bull. Folks said he was terrorizing the neighborhood. The officer who responded is a dog lover, and he followed the pit bull into an alley. All the dog wanted to do was lick him. The officer got into the back of the patrol car with the dog, and they drove him to the shelter, but when they got there, he couldn't turn the dog in. He brought the dog home to his other two dogs, and they all seemed to be getting along just fine. This is Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. You know, a couple of weeks back, Stacy was talking about putting dogs into schools. Uh, schools like, uh, well, for instance, after the Sandy Hook tragedy, you think about, uh, do they put metal detectors in? What are the best ways to protect the kids? And this guy, Mark Gomer, you train dogs to go into schools. Tell, tell us how, what you're involved with and how you play into this. Well, after the uh, the Sandy Hook shooting, uh, my son and I were talking. I've been training dogs for the last 20 years in Cincinnati, and uh, we were talking about, you know, how that could could have changed the whole situation there. Uh, yeah. We know what we can do with these dogs and what they're able to do. So we went to uh, Oak Hill School District here in Cincinnati, and that's where my kids go, and um, they loved the idea. So we uh, we jumped on it right away. Got a dog ready for Oak Hills, and, uh, and everything's been going great you know, ever since. Well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, why wouldn't the dog be just as, as much danger as any of the kids? Why couldn't the gunmen shoot the dog? Well, I mean, that's always a possibility, but these dogs are fast. They're, uh, they're not that big, you know, dogs. We use the, uh, the Dutch Shepherds and the Belgian Malinois. But they're fast, they're agile. Uh, in a situation like that, there's going to be a lot of chaos. I don't think that that, that shooter is going to necessarily be focused uh, automatically in on the dog. It is the dog's job to, you know, create an obstacle, you know, to create a problem for the shooter. Um, but uh, these dogs have been put through that situation with the shooter over and over again in training. Is the dog been trained really to detect firearms, or has it been trained to deal with incidences like after the firearms have already entered the school? What these dogs are trained to do is uh, search for drugs and firearms in lockers, backpacks, book bags, that kind of thing on a daily basis. And then if anybody were to come in there shooting, uh, you know, they're, they've been put through that situation over and over again. They know who they're supposed to take out. So how many dogs do you have at a school at one time, and are they there through the entire school day? Well, these schools are actually purchasing the dogs. So the dog oh, wow. is part of the staff now you know, at the school. So they're, they're there all day long, all week long. You know, when I was a kid, I was really afraid of dogs. And <laughs> I'm actually thinking this would have been a real distraction for me in school. Well, uh, schools, especially high schools, they're no stranger to having dogs in there for the handicap. Um, Oak Hills also has a seeing-eye dog for a, a girl there that's blind. So, you know, they get used to it. Uh, everybody at the school loves Atticus. He's kind of like a celebrity there now. But, uh, you know, after after a couple weeks, you know, things calm down, and, and he's just kind of a normal fixture there at the school. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Are there any kids so, that are allergic to dogs? What happens in that instance? Well, we get asked that question a lot. Uh, we haven't run into any problems at Oak Hills. Uh, if there ever was a situation like that, we would know 
which students and which areas to stay away from. You know, it's funny. You're doing exactly what I thought should be done many, many, many years ago. And, you know, people are so reluctant to uh, having dogs in public places, restaurants, buildings, offices, things like that, and it's starting to change. But who manages the dog? Who's the person responsible for his care and uh, for managing him, you know, in, in the school? There, There's two people up at Oak Hills that manage Atticus. Atticus is the dog up there. Uh, the principal, uh, he goes home with the principal, so he actually lives with Beautiful. the principal's family, goes to work with them every day. And there's a That's gentleman cool. there that was already a hall monitor that took over the position to handle Atticus. So there's two main handlers up there. Nobody's going to protect you better than than a dog. Nope. I mean, if you really think about it, it's, it's probably the best form of protection um, that they can ask for let me lay it out the way I see it, and maybe you can edify this for me. You're a for-profit business, not a non-profit. You make your money doing this. And you had mentioned earlier that you charge the schools for this. And I know that it costs at least $10,000 to train these dogs, somewhere, sometimes upwards of $15,000. We already have a real taxed schooling system where, where teachers are being laid off. There are so many kids per teacher you really don't learn anything anymore what i want to know is where are they going to find the money and the dollars to bring these dogs in and how much does it cost well this is to do this right and you gotta you gotta realize this is a brand new thing i mean it's uh you know we've had police dogs you know we know what they do we have seeing eye dogs we have you know a lot of different types of jobs this is a very special job these dogs have to be extremely socialized stable they have to be able to do the bite work but still love people. Um, they have to be conditioned to the school settings, bells, uh, marching bands, you know, things like that. It's a two-year process. Um, for that two-year process, and these dogs should be able to work for the next eight years, you know, at, at the school. So when you break it down, it's very inexpensive compared to the, uh, the other options. They can't even come close to this. But uh, $50,000 is you know, the, what we're charging the school to get this done. Wow. Yeah, that, um, and for teachers, that's pay. actually like a couple of salaries. Yeah, it's, I mean, no. it's a one-year salary, really, you know. Yeah. And, and if you were going to hire uh, an armed guard, I mean, you're going to pay that armed guard sure. $78,000 per year, and that's every year. And that's still not what this dog can do. This dog can search the whole premises every day. And see, these students uh, up at Oak Hills, they see this dog actually searching their lockers, their backpacks, their book bags <laughs> uh-huh. every single day, you know. So uh, even, and I'm all about the police dogs out there, but even a police dog, I mean, they, they might show up once or twice a year. Right. Well, these students know that, and they know, well, if that dog just showed up, it's probably going to be another few months at least that they have to you know, do what they want to do before they got to worry about it again. This dog's there every single day. Let's give out the website. It's schoolprotectiondogs.com, schoolprotectiondogs.com. And uh, you can learn more about that. Now, if someone wants to get dogs into their school, what is the process they have to go through? Well, the process they go through is to, to contact me, and there is a, a number, you know, on that website. They would just contact me. We would have uh, some conversations first about everything that's going on. We would try to get out there as quickly as possible to do a demonstration with one of the dogs uh, for the school board uh, and the superintendent, you know, people that would be making the decisions. And then hopefully soon after that, they would be able to raise the funds. Which, back to the other question, these schools are getting very creative as far as uh, raising the funds for these. Um, there's, there's fundraisers, there's, there's grants out there. 
I think that the school should be one of the safest places in the world for these kids to be, and right now it's the opposite. You bet. Boy, they never had metal detectors when I was a kid. Whole different world. Yeah. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Once again, the website, schoolprotectiondogs.com, and we'll put links to everything you've heard on today's show over at animalradio.com. The guy's genius. He's going he's gonna to be so rich. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800 Live at the Red Barn Studios, you're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. And let's take a call for Dr. Debbie. We have Jan. Hey, Jan, welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? What's going on with your animals? I'm doing okay, but I have a couple of problem children. Uh, one is an eight-year-old male. All my animals are fixed. and Male, male what? What kind of critter? Uh, cat. Sorry. Kitty. All right. I have lots of kitties. Uh, for at present, and that's probably the top number we'll keep with for a while. Uh, Jackie is an eight-year-old male, neutered, and we recently took in a cat that was left behind. The people moved out and left her, and she was freezing to death. So we've brought her in, and she is fixed, declawed as well, and probably four years old. The other two cats is, is pretty much gotten used to her. She's getting used to them. But Jackie is actually stalking her and attacks, and not in a nice way. He is vicious. Okay. I've never seen this kind of behavior. Okay. So when he attacks her, does is there fur flying? Is there actually a physical altercation, or is it more vocal? Oh, yeah. When they're engaging okay. in the fight, they're, they're rah, 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 okay. you know? Alrighty, and then when after they fight, get done fighting, what's going on? What what do the kitties do? She usually runs down to the basement where she hides, and she jumps through a hole that goes underneath the house, and she hides there for a while and comes out. All right. Oh well. Yeah. This is ugly. this is a lot of fun. Now you said you have other kitties, so you have four cats right now, correct? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, this might be a little bit more simplistic answer if we only had two kitties in the home. But in in all honesty, you might not have the same problem when we only have two kitties in the home. Because when we add more cat personalities into the house, that's when we can have more opportunity for these inner cat social issues. Um, wow. So if we're at one cat, two cats, sometimes thir- third cat, we'll see something tipping the balance of things, adding in a fourth cat, and more and more, you have a greater risk of this kind of thing happening. Now, it is possible that these two cats have something between them that we may not be able to help. 
So it's very similar to uh, having a college friend that you share an apartment with that you just can't get along with no matter how hard you try. So in some cases, I always keep that in the back of my mind that you can't ask a cat to behave like a non-cat. But from what you're saying... um, with an aggressor cat, when there is actually a physical aggression towards another cat and the other cat is anxious, nervous, fearful, um, there's some different steps that we can try. Now, the, the first thing to recognize is that sometimes the fearful behavior can actually make the aggressor attack. So a yeah. cat that cowers or hisses in the response to a uh, impending attack actually can trigger that. So in a lot of cases, we'll work on focusing on the aggressor, um, but sometimes we'll kind of switch the balance and go the other direction. So generally, my recommendation is to, to really kind of limit these two kitties interactions, if at all yeah. possible, um, because They're you really... Exactly. It's very hard. Cats have a very good memory. They're like elephants and they're going to recall that, you know, hey, yesterday there was this thing that happened between us. I'm still pissed at you, man. I'm going to take you down. So, yeah. So my guideline is three to five days of kitty timeout in between altercations. But then we really got to do some steps in the meantime. So so some of the things that we might do, one of the simplest things I would do is see about getting a a breakaway collar with a bell on uh, Jackie. And that can help the more passive kitty to know when he's coming and to take little retreat steps if necessary. Um, uh-huh. Very important because if, if her personality is such that she doesn't really want to have a lot of interactions with him, we're not going to make her. So the safest thing is to give her that opportunity to kind of get out of the way. Um, and then uh, certainly I'm a fan of pheromones, those natural scent hormones that can have a calming behavior. Um, that benefits everybody in this situation. Now, I can tell in you many- what I've tried so far. Okay. Uh, I have tried Rescue Remedy, and he was okay with that for a little while, but as soon as it wears off, there he goes, back into action. Okay. Um, and we had him on Kitty Prozac for a couple okay. of months, and that was almost a bigger fight getting him to take that <laughs> than the fight between the cats. Yeah. Oh, golly. I've tried exchanging scented socks. I put a sock in his bed and one where she lays and then exchanged mm-hmm. it. So that they're getting mm-hmm. used to each other's sense, and it's not working. I have had cats all my life, and always multiple cats. I have never, ever encountered anything like this. It's freaky. Yeah, it, <laughs> and it, it's very powerful when when it does occur. And um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've done a lot of the right things, and definitely a, a good medical workup is always advised if we've yeah. got cats that say have been together for a while, and then we have some fighting. Um, yeah. If we've got a new introduction, at least we've got some trigger point there that we're really working on. Um, and there are other medications that I will often tap into besides Prozac. Um, okay. Sometimes the reality is that uh, I mentioned when we treat the aggressor, what we perceive as the aggressor cat with a medication, it can sometimes help. It can sometimes make things worse. And in some cases, we'll actually shift gears and medicate the cat with the anxiety. And we might try an alternate medication to help a cat who has an anxiety disorder who's really fearful and help them to kind of be more confident. And sometimes that helps to take their responses of uh, that kind of trigger that cat to to leap and to bound. Um, and, and that can help in that way. So that might be the alternate way that we go along using things. Yeah. But yeah, the, the reality is it sounds like you got a lot of the great ideas. The hard thing is doing a full separation when you've got all those cat personalities in the house. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and to really be you know faithful because if if we do a separation for kitties, it's yeah. you know we keep them oh. apart and we only start to put them closer together once there's good things like you know we feed them outside of the doors. Yeah. If there's any signs, little ears back, swishing tail, or they're chomping on their food too fast, those are signs they're not comfortable with the situation. And I don't yeah. like to push that reintroduction any faster. Um, this has been very slow. Mm. <laughs> well, we wish yeah. you the best of luck with that. It sounds like it's a tough problem to deal with. We, we know about that. We have a lot of cats here. Fortunately, they all get along. We're counting yeah. our blessings here, Jan. Let us know how that turns out. I will. I appreciate it. Thank you for your call today, and thanks for listening to Animal Radio. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. Celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring veterinarian Dr. Debbie White, groomer Joey Villani, news director Lori Brooks. And now, here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. I've already broke my New Year's resolutions. Already, I, I, I don't know why I even dare every year. See, I never break mine. Because you never, never make? Well, no, I do make one. Do you? Yes. What is it? Not to make one. Ah, oh, that's smart. Uh-huh. You see, Alan, that's why she's in charge. Yes. Yeah, there, there's somebody here with a brain. <laughs> On the show today, Brian Barzak. He is the snake man. He has about 30,000 snakes under his roof. That would be scary for me. But oh, I can't oh, me, imagine. It'd be a me, nightmare. Yes. Let me, let me guess. Yes. He's single. Lots of ladies like snakes. Yeah, he it's kind may of a not turn on. be single. Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? I'll have to introduce really? you to a few of them. <laughs> they, <laughs> they have the, the cobras tattooed on their back. I'm telling you, it's a big... If you're one of these ladies, I want to hear from you right now. You like snakes. You like guys with snakes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's much of a calling for that website. <laughs> the guys with snakes dating website. Before we go back to the phone, Stacy, what are you working on? The world has lost a fat cat. A real fat one, unfortunately. I'll tell you, it was a celebrity. He actually had a treadmill. I'll give you all the details coming up on Animal Radio News. I don't know. So many cats come to mind when I think about that. I don't know. It wasn't that cat we just spoke to recently, was it? We spoke to a cat. The big fat cat? I don't know. Hey, Kevin. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. What's going on in your world? Um, I have a uh, rescue Leanberger. Um, um, in case you don't know what they are, they're, uh, um, they're an old, 100 70-year-old breed wow. that was the first dog that they know that was designed for looks. He's supposed to look like a lion, but they're big. He's full, grown uh, 150-pound dog, and when he wants to uh, make noise in the car, um, and he used to ride really good in the van when we first brought him. 
and now it seems like he doesn't like being in the van unless we're playing Never Soul or whatever from the Beatles. <laughs> and he he howls. He he'll start singing or howling and 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 whining and and crying and and trying to get up front to us. And we were wondering how we could calm that down. Well, um. When did the dog start not liking being in the van? What, what, what would you say? Can you remember that day? Um, and we brought him home with the two female Leonbergers from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And then sometime after that, a couple weeks after that, he started wanting to move up to us. Well, so, so the dog is in the van, and every time you go somewhere, the dog just wants to come up front with you. Yeah, basically. And, and then, then, okay, and I, I have some questions. I have, the dog wants to come up with you, and then what do you do? Well, we used to holler at him to go back, but then we realized that's not working. And so we started playing Rubber Soul from the Beatles. And and so he stays in the back when the song is on, but he howls. Um, no, he, he'll calm down for a little while. He'll calm down a little while then because we he's, turn it He's up distracted, so you're distracting him with the music is what you're doing. So what? basically what you have to do is, I don't know when it happened, but the dog is has got some sort of bad association with being in the back of the van, wants to be close to you, wants to be close to the pack. So you have to let the dog know that it's okay to be back there and make it a pleasurable experience. And, and the way to do that is over time. Everything takes time in the dog world. Nothing happens overnight. And the best motivation for a dog, of course, course is pleasure and pleasure means treats and affection so what i would start doing is i would start taking the dog in the van when it's not going anywhere you're just sitting in the driveway and you're going to take the dog in the van and you're going to give the dog affection in the van and also feed the dog treats in the van and then after about a week or two of doing that maybe once a day for about 15 20 minutes just hanging out in the back of the van you're going to move to the front of the van and let the dog stay in the back and every time the dog comes near you you have to ignore the dog, and then you have to just sit there. Just sit there. And when the dog decides to, on his own, walk far away from you, gets bored being next to you or trying to get close to you, that's when you say, good dog, downstay, if you've taught the dog to go downstay, and feed the dog a treat. Your next move is to start the van and let the dog run in the driveway while you sit in the front seat, and you give the dog a treat for staying in the correct position in the back of the van where the dog belongs. And the dog will learn that that's a nice spot, that that's a pleasurable spot, that good things happen there. And then you can try taking a short ride, and you're going to go for a ride to a place where the dog's going to have fun. That's another key. So if there's a dog park or a place your dog loves to go or maybe uh, uh, the dog loves to go on walks, the first trip you're going to make after you do all this is to a place where that dog is going to have a great time being with you or with other dogs. So the dog will associate the van and being in the back with nothing but pleasure. And that's how you change behaviors where dogs are anxious or where dogs, uh, you know, they, they, they just are not happy where they are or they're miserable or they're, or they're scared. You have to create a, a positive connection in the dog's brain a happy connection a good connection a good association alan i wanted to chime in for a second because i as sure. a, a veterinarian i have seen dogs that become uh, very phobic about car travel and a lot of yes, times when we're talking absolutely. about a van it can be that they're unsecured um so having a dog flopping around in the back of a, a van or an suv where they're losing their footing they're slipping they're injuring themselves it can be very frightening so, so are you um, suggesting a crate or something like that Either a crate or a dog um, seat belt or mm. somewhere where that dog feels secure. Even a yeah, dog crates bed. are good. 
crates are a great idea. And that's a great point. And, you know, in my experience with dogs in cars, most dogs are smart enough to figure out, you know, that if they don't lay down, they're going to get, they're going to get tossed around. And you're right. Especially in the beginning when they're small, that can create a really scary negative association. So a crate is a great idea until your dog starts to associate the van with, hey, I'm going someplace fun and, hey, this is a great thing because good things happen here. A crate is a great idea. He, uh, he's very much into uh, being up in there because, see, we live in a motor coach, and so we, we do travel mm. around a little bit. But what I do is I use the back end that has their kennel. I have two dogs, and they're very quick to get yeah. in there, and I can leave the back door open, and they don't leave that kennel. I didn't know you were in a motor home, and, and it sounds like your dog has a little bit, uh, you know, without being there, I don't know, but your dog probably has a little bit of separation anxiety, being as though he's not comfortable being away from you. So if he's comfortable in the crate, that's your solution. That's a great solution. And, and what you do is every 10, 15 minutes you visit the dog, uh, you know, while he's in the crate, while you're, you know, riding around in that thing, and you give the dog a treat and a little bit of affection. Unless he's making noise, then you ignore him. But a motor home's a different thing than a van. I was picturing a van with seats in my head oh i have a van and i i i use it as a kennel when we need to have more space to be able to get things done like clean the house or whatever i open up the van tell him to jump in he jumps in i have really good voice control over him that and i've been listening to you guys for the last uh year or so and uh i picked up on a lot of things that you i could walk him down the street now without ever leashing him because he'll stay with me Okay, because of you guys learning, you know, what I need to do and how I need to control him and that. So I thought um, I'd call you up because that's the only area that he messes up now is when we're driving down the road. And I have to play rubber soul. That's the way we ignore him. <laughs> how did you discover he likes the Beatles? I mean, that that's... <laughs> well, we like it. And every time when my wife would get tired of hearing him howl, she would slam in that rubber soul and play it, and he just calms right down. And, and I think he likes the stuff my wife likes. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to try the crate deal next and see if we can maybe calm him down some more on the crate. I think that's a good idea. Please drive carefully and be safe. Alan Cable's our dog trainer. Just call him Kibble. Dog father, Joey Volani. Animal communicator, Joey Turner. Veterinarian, Dr. Debbie and Stacy Cohen, our news director, we're all here for you. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. This is an Animal Radio news update. I'm Stacy Cohen for Animal Radio. Ever have a day where you just want to hang with your dog? You know, you want to run errands and go do things, but then you wonder, gosh, can I take my dog there? Well, the Fido Factor, made by the company Appetite, is an app, and it'll let people know which places allow dogs, whether it's a department store, restaurant, bar, just about any place else. In addition, the app will give you specific rules for each place, so you'll know things like the leash rules or the fees you have to pay. And if you find a new location that allows dogs, you can add it to the app's website, FidoFactor.com, and let others know where it is and then write a review so everybody will know if it's really a dog-friendly place or not. You can get reviews of each location, see if it's worth really bringing your dog there. 
because just because a place says it allows dogs doesn't necessarily mean it's a great place for your dog to be. To find a dog-friendly location, you can either search by business name or the type of location and get things like directions, hours of operation, and the place's phone number. It's kind of like a Surrey for dogs. Fido Factor allows you to take photos of your dog at these locations and then upload them so everybody else can see it. The Cheyenne Mountain Zoo is offering some cold weather discounts. They're trying to get people to come while the temperatures are frigid. It's a pretty good idea. A lot of zoos are doing this. Spokesperson Erica Meyer says it's a great time to visit because there aren't a lot of people around. You can still go inside. You can feed the giraffes. You can go in the elephant barn and see what our elephants are up to. Many of the animals just enjoy being outside even in the winter weather. The discount's two bucks and just by using the password chili at the gate, you can get in. Well, remember Buddha, the obese gray and white cat whose diet and exercise plan made him a viral sensation? Unfortunately, that cat died of congestive heart failure. He was only six years old. The cat inspired people around the world with his jaunts on an underwater treadmill along with a diet plan, and it helped him whittle down to his 31.4-pound weight. Nashville's Cat Shop, which actually helped care for the cat, wrote on its website, It's our hope that Buddha will not have died in vain. We hope that his story inspires owners of obese cats to help him get on a path to a healthier weight. Buddha was dropped off at Animal Control in Nashville in August after his owner died. Realizing the overweight cat's health was at risk, volunteers took Buddha to Cat Shop, where the cat began his weight loss journey. It's kind of like a biggest loser for cats. Video of the cat working out on his special treadmill was shared around the world, and it made Buddha a celebrity. He will be surely missed. Boy, there are some pictures of him. That was a fat cat. Looked kind of like a little cow. I'm Stacy Cohen. Get more animal breaking news at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Need a fix of the good stuff? Get more Animal Radio with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Oh, admit it. You're one of those people. Cat dictates where you sleep in your bed because you don't want to wake them. Yeah, sure, the cat and the dog both sleep exactly where you'd like to sleep. And sure, you get no sleep, but you're not bitter because you love those animals dearly. You don't dare disturb them. Of course not. It's Animal Radio, if you're like me, bitter because... I mean, not bitter because <laughs> the animals can sleep anywhere uh, in your bed. Slip. <laughs> then you're listening Truth to the comes out here, Hal. Right it comes radio out now. show. <laughs> yes. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? 
good. How are you doing? I'm just laughing at that because, yeah, my cat dictates where I sleep when I go home. <laughs> well, you, you'll be like a pretzel, won't you, in bed? Round your cat, won't you? Oh, yeah. And I'm always reminded when I was younger, I heard a story about Buddha and how he was late for a meeting because he wouldn't disturb a cat that was sleeping on his robe. So he had an ace cut the robe around the cat. Oh, my God. Oh, I love it. That's a great story. Look that one up, Guido. I want to share that with the kids. How can we help you today, Brian? Well, I had called a while ago about uh, my cat. And uh, the thing is, I drive a truck for a living. And you guys were really awesome. You actually sent a book to my ex-girlfriend, who my cat is living with. Oh, um, cool. And it's been really helpful to her, and she really appreciates it. You know, and understanding cats, because she's never been around any. So that was really great. Good. Well, great. Um, but my question is this. I drive a truck for a living, and my cat's an older cat, and she hates to be in any vehicle. And I just don't want to put her through the trauma of getting used to being in the truck. So mm. I was thinking of getting mm -hmm. a kitten. But I was wondering if there was any advice you had on getting a cat used to riding in a truck. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, part of that is actually going to become part of your kitten training. And we kind of you know, scratch our head. We don't really train kittens, do we? Um, dogs, we do cr uh, train as puppies. But kittens, you basically are going to make her sensitized to this kind of travel. So litter box habits, ugh, that comes easy. You don't have to train that. But what we'll do for training uh, for travel is we're going to start very simple. We're going to start first off with, um, now i got to ask you, first of all, do you want her having free room of the cab or are you going to actually have her in kind of a confined little area nope nope free free roam you know the old thing you know dogs have owners cats have a staff and okay. i've always the cat gets free roam and he runs, <laughs> she'll run the truck pretty much well, basically, we're going to actually, it helps if we have a home base that we can acclimate her to. So if you have a cat bed that we can get her used to, we're going to try to ask her to try to get comfortable in that when we start training her for the car. So basically, that will be her favorite spot. You're going to treat her there. You're going to give her yummies. You're going to give her love in that place. And then you're going to take that with you into the cab. And you might start even with a smaller vehicle, so uh, it's easier to just do short little bouts. But basically, we're going to do just starting up the engine, getting it warm, making the sounds, and maybe just driving just a little bit, going forward and back, and that's it. We treat, we reward during that, and that's our exposure. We build up on that positive experience. Because it's a short trip, it's not likely to be scary for her. And because you're there and you're giving her yummies, it's going to be a good association. So you're going to have to gradually build up to that from just kind of going into the vehicle to going a little bit further to making short little trips or errands. So that's how we basically build up to a cat that is going to like to travel. And um, the other thing that really helps is that if you're picking out a kitten, we're going to look for one that's, you know, we kind of talk about this every week, it seems, the cat dog. You're going to look for one that's a little bit more laid back, that's not as um, apt to startle with uh, sounds or um, un uncertain things. Having a personality for travel helps tremendously. We can only train so far. So we want to make sure that we kind of work on both picking the right kind of kitty and um, gradual uh, exposure to the, the travel experience. So, so laid back is like an indicator of a personality that will enjoy the travel and all that? 
mostly what it what it indicates is that we'll be less apt to be startled by other vehicles flying by, uh, horns, noises, things that we don't think about as we're traveling, but can be very right. scary for a pet that's not exposed to that. And actually, that's probably step two of your training for travel is that we want low-level noises that you're going to experience on the road and the kitty is going to be exposed to. And we want to make that something that becomes part of the training, too. So, you know, okay. simply having an audio tape of some of these things and while you're just practicing these uh, short little travel bouts, having that playing and having it being non-scary because, uh, you know, some pets really get freaked out when those other big rigs go flying by. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. Excellent. So, well, yeah. I really appreciate your help and advice. You guys have been oh, my great. pleasure. I, I learn everything every week when, when I listen. I know. I listen every week, and I just, it's amazing. It's, uh, <laughs> if I miss a week, I just feel totally out of the loop. That's what I Well, you know, my, my ex-girlfriend, I had a little real quick story if I can. Uh, yes. Last time I was home to visit, she has a Pomeranian mm-hmm. um, that I call Rat Dog. Um, and <laughs> she, she told me, that she says, you need to talk to your friends on Animal Radio because they would not like what you do to her. Oh, well, what do you... What do you do? Well, well, years when when we first got together, I mean, she had hardwood floors, and of course, you got to wing the pomeranian across the hardwood floors. And uh, we would, I would set up her toys like a little bowling thing, and I call it pomeranian bowling. Sure. <laughs> and when I come over now to visit my cat, when I go through Columbus, her dog will bring her toys out and set them up. Uh, well, there's actually a Pomeranian bowling league. So that, uh, well, I, was, I was thinking of getting into one, you know. <laughs> okay, we're but just joking, ladies much. and gentlemen. I just want to point it out right don't now. Don't do we're just this joking. at home. Yes. Again, thanks a lot. Hey, don't forget, you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Download it now. It's made possible by Fear Free Pets. Taking the pet out of Petrified. Visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Check out Animal Radio highlights. All the good stuff without the blah, blah, blah. Browse on over to animalradio.pet. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Hey, this is Big Ant from Rescue Inc. Remember, spay and neuter your animal and abuses are losers. Now back to Animal Radio. Animal Radio, and we'll head back to the phones in just a second. But I wanted to bring to the airwaves 
Brian Barczyk, and I and forgive me, I pronounced your name wrong before, and I apologize for that. Brian, you are the snake man. You have over 30,000 snakes in your facility, and uh, we've been talking about this all up to right now. We think that you probably have a lot of ladies that, that are hot for you, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I always give that advice. You know, if the young men want to get some chicks, they just pick up a bunch of snakes right now. I'm not sure that that's the best way to go, but uh, but I will say this. There are some snake groupies out there, so I'm not complaining. See what I was saying, Alan? See? See? Well, well Brian, <laughs> you got 30,000 30, snakes. Tell us their names. <laughs> uh, well, okay, how long do we have? No. <laughs> you know, ironically enough, I do have a few snakes I name. I don't name everything, obviously, but, uh, but I have a snake named Satan. I have a snake named Sunshine. Uh, so... So those are my two mascots, and they're the polar opposite. They're the good and evil, for sure. 30,000 snakes. You must be a breeder. You do this for a living, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I started out as a breeder. Uh, I still am. You know, I mean, I, I, now I do a whole bunch of other things, animal-related filming and all kinds of other great stuff. But, uh, but yeah, we breed snakes for the pet trade, basically. You know, we breed pet snakes is what I always tell people. And, uh, actually, I just clean snake poop for a living. But, uh, but yeah, that's what we do. Well, so I guess there's no spaying and neutering, because I know for cats and dogs, we, we try to discourage the whole going the breeding route, but for snakes, kind of a different story, right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's so different because the people that are buying a pet, you know, snake probably aren't accidentally going to have a litter of kittens, you know, so (laughs) it's it's, it's a very different situation. So, uh, uh, although I wouldn't be opposed to, to spade or neutering uh, a snake because that's less competition for me, but, uh, uh, but yeah, at this point, there's more demand than there is supply for sure. What is the most poisonous snake you have there? Well, you know, I actually uh, don't, and I'm going to correct you on something here. It's actually venomous snake, not okay. poisonous, but uh, but I, that's a nitpicky snake thing. I'm, I actually don't uh, eat venomous snakes. Um, I work with them in film projects, and I've done anything from you know inland taipans to tiger snakes to king cobras, all kinds of other stuff. But uh, but because we have a staff of about 12 people that, that care for the collection, including myself and the wife, I just don't feel comfortable you know putting them in a position where they have to you know, handle something that could potentially kill them. So, so I personally choose not to work with them. So do you Beautiful. ship these snakes all over the world? We do ship all over the world. We ship, you know, literally in every country that allows export, we ship to. Uh, but what's really cool is that in, in this country, in America, uh, you know, they've made it so easy. You can go on my website. You can click on a snake. It gets right to your door the next day, you know, FedEx. So, so it truly is snakes <laughs> on a plane. Uh, they come right to your door. They knock on your door and say, hey, here's your little snakes. Are there some snakes that are, say, legal in one area but illegal elsewhere? Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of local municipalities that have different laws. Like, let's say New York City, for instance, has a a six-foot constrictor law. So anything that could attain six foot or larger, (laughs) you're not allowed to ship to them. You know, so the majority of our snakes are corn snakes, king snakes, ball pythons, you know, stuff that stays three, four, five foot and are really great pet animals. You make them sound like they're furry, warm, fuzzy animals. What makes them great pets? They really are. You know, I mean, over the last 20 years in particular, they've become so mainstream. You know, as a matter of fact, I, I've told people one of the amazing things in, on the show America's Got Talent on, on NBC, they actually had a ball python commercial for PetSmart. So that, that was pretty awesome. You know what I mean? So it's really become that mainstream where in primetime TV you see about, hey, come buy the snake as a pet. So were you one of those kids that drove your mom crazy? You probably had the snakes all over your bedroom and all the aquariums. <laughs> matter of fact, I blame my mom for my 30,000 snakes because when I was a kid, I used to go out and collect garter snakes, but she wouldn't let me bring them into the house. So it wasn't until I was 15 years old that I got my very first pet snake that I could keep at home. And, and I told her, if I could have just got it out of my system when I was a kid, maybe I wouldn't be surrounded by thousands of snakes. Yeah. I'm thinking feeding 30,000 snakes. Oh. God, that's got to be a lot of mice. Yeah, we go through about 250,000 
rodents a year, and uh, it costs it costs about two hundred thousand dollars a year just to feed the collection. Wow, that, that's <laughs> how many times have you been bit? I've been bit no, I dead serious. I've been bit probably a hundred thousand plus times. Really, you know, it's just wow! Part of the daily routine, and and fortunately, I mean, one of the things I'm really so grateful about is I've never been to the hospital for a bite. There's been a handful of times where you know I've taken the super glue out and and you know bandaged myself up a little bit that maybe I could go get a stitch or two. But uh, but I've been really fortunate, and I've been tagged by you know 18 foot pythons, including my big big girl named Satan. She's bit me four times now, and she's uh, you know she's 200 pounds and 18 foot. So uh, so uh, that I've is love. With her that before, is love right but, uh, there. But hey, it's all part of it. Well, how many that's, employees that's have love. you been through? <laughs> As you can imagine, I always tell people you can only imagine the colorful crew of people that you know come and interview uh, for a snake job. Uh, I've been through a lot. You know, I mean, probably no more than McDonald's has been, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we go through a lot. But we have a really great crew right now. Most of them have been with me for at least three years, and uh, I'm really blessed to have a, a bunch of great snake freaks around me. Why isn't this a reality show? Why is this not on A and E? Well, you know, it's really funny. We shot a show for History Channel a year and a half ago, um, and you know, so they greenlit a show, and, and, and we shot a pilot, and, and uh, they decided to shelf it at the end. And, and uh, you know, I'm really not 100 percent sure why, but certainly, if you uh, live my life, everyone around me goes, "Oh my gosh, this is absolutely incredibly insane!" And I think we could definitely be the next Duck Dynasty. But hey, you know, that's up to the networks, and that's not up to me. Are you a married man? I am a married man. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I would, you know, actually, my wife, we've been together now for 25 years, and uh, believe it or not, she hated snakes. Well, I didn't hate snakes. She was terrified of snakes and wouldn't even come into my bedroom at my mom's house that had snakes in it. Uh, now she, uh, she's, you know, been working with me for 25 years, uh, side by side, taking care of all the snakes. Uh, it's pretty amazing to see the transformation. There wow. you go. Here's your $5, Alan. Yeah. And they, they, they put an addition onto the mom's to the bedroom in the mom's house, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you know, it's really funny. We uh, you know, we have snakes that we've sold for $125,000. Wow. So it's, it's more like uh, I put an addition onto my house from the mother-in-law's apartment. Who, uh, wow. who, who buys a snake for $125,000? Really? You know, we, we, we actually sell to a few different types of people. You know, we sell to people that are going to be, uh, obviously, pet people. You know, $10 to $100 or $300. We sell to people that are aspiring to be breeders. You know, hey, I'm going to invest this money and I'm going to try to breed it and sell more. And then, of course, we sell to celebrities and high-end people. You know, so when a celebrity wants a really cool animal, they they usually come to a guy like me and say, "Hey, what can I get?" And they want that rare animal that might be twenty or thirty or fifty thousand dollars. And I find that the rarer the snake, and what I always tell people is, I do what I call paint jobs. I mix a little of this into a little of that to make this cool colored animal or cool mm. textured animal. And that's what the the high end people really want. What celebs have you had there? Well, you know, I deal with a lot of athletes. I, I'll be honest with you. Lot, probably the most high-profile guys we keep to ourselves, but uh, I can tell you that uh, one of the guys I'll tell you that's pretty open about is Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, really? Is one guy. Uh, you know, Nick Cage used to buy snakes, uh, no longer keeps them, unfortunately, but a lot of athletes, and we do a lot of football guys, we do a lot of baseball guys, a, a lot of hockey guys, a lot of TV celebrities as well, and a ton of musicians. I mean, one of my very good friends is Kerry from Slayer. Uh, we've sold animals to Slash, you know, from Guns N' Roses, and, and uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Do you ever provide no, is... any snakes for movies? Uh, you know, I don't do much of it. Every now and then I get called in for that, but uh, but it's pretty rare. Those are union snakes anyway. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. He actually makes a great living, believe it or not, the majority of the time not providing snakes, but getting rid of snakes off the sound lot, off the lot, you know. <laughs> he goes out there and makes great money just collecting rattlesnakes so that the actors and, and 
pound crew don't get bit. Is there any truth to the rumor that 10 of your snakes got together and tried to buy Miley Cyrus? I have no idea. I, 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 that would not, that'd be a little bit of a stretch. There he is, Brian Barczyk. Check out his website, bhbreptiles.com. Thanks for hanging with us, buddy. Oh, it's been great. Have me on anytime, guys. We'll uh, link to that over at animalradio.com. You, you know, Hal, I, I really, you should really get a snake. They're wonderful pets, and I've been bitten 100,000 times. <laughs> He makes them sound like they're warm and fuzzy, like you just want to cuddle up in bed with him. Yes, yes, you he's could, a lunatic. You could sit he's there and watch TV and have one wrapped around your neck. That's kind of cuddly. So you're one of those ladies that'll like a guy with snakes, don't yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, I can tell. Uh, yeah. You like the bad know. guys. Yeah. yeah. Bad boys uh, with snakes. Bad guys. That's not bad. That's crazy talk. <laughs> wow. Can I, can I just tell you a secret? Yes. What's your secret? When you uh, asked him what celebrities had bought snakes from him, I the three that popped into my mind were... Leonardo DiCaprio, sure. Johnny Depp, and Nicolas Cage. I am so not surprised. And also Sean Penn. I thought Sean Penn would have a litter. De- no, Dennis Rodman baby. probably tried to buy a snake, but the, 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 Rodman was too weird for the snake. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. A barking chihuahua in Lancaster, California got a cruel punishment when five burglars put her in the freezer as they rifled through her family's home. Roxy, the tiny chihuahua, is fine now, but she could have easily died. Her owner, Kimberly Holzer, was at work when neighbors called the police after seeing men jumping over her fence. Luckily, the suspects were caught a short time later. Holzer, who's pregnant with twins, quickly called her mother to check on Roxy. Police searched everywhere and couldn't find her until one deputy had a hunch to check a large freezer next to the living room. Inside, they found a near-frozen chihuahua and rushed her to the vet, who gave her a clean bill of health. The suspects were booked on suspicion of animal cruelty, burglary, and receiving stolen property. Holzer is happy to have her little dog back, saying, Everything in my house, whatever's damaged, whatever's lost, is stupid, replaceable stuff. But she's not. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people, too. Animal Radio. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143. 800-689-0143. 800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. Alan Cable with today's amazingly sweet love story watch. 
It's a ghost. Owen's getting a little kiss from his dog. He's seven years old. This is a story of how one little boy and a dog changed each other's lives. Owen has an illness that causes his muscles to constantly be tense, so it's very difficult for him to move around and do simple things. It's made him very shy and withdrawn. Well, some folks were searching for someone to adopt a dog named Hachi. He's a big Italian shepherd that only has three legs. Hachi got hit by a train and then came to us. Owen says it was a magical meeting. First day I met him, put his head on my lap, and that's what happened. Owen's family says he's a different kid with Hachi there. Much more outgoing. I'm really happy. Everything changed my life. This is Animal Radio, baby. I'm Beth Stern on Animal Radio and Adopt from Your Local Shelter. You're listening to Animal Radio. Here's Hal and Judy. Hi, who's this? Uh, name's Toby. Hey, Toby, how you doing today? Oh, uh, fair midland, I guess, for a rainy day. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. We'll send some sunshine your way, okay? Uh, please do. I'm tired of this raining weather. <laughs> hey, I'm your sunshine here, Toby. <laughs> what can I do for you today? Well, I've got a three-and-a-half to four-year-old German short hair pointer. I've had her since she was eight weeks old. Uh, okay. She's traveled with me on the uh, on the truck ever since she's been eight weeks old. And she has got atrocious, I mean, just atrocious breath. I wish, is, is, is there something that I can give her that will help that? Oh, if it were only so easy just to give her something. Um, well, I mean, usually breath is a function of a lot of different factors. The most important thing is oral health. So if you got a stinky mouth from your dog, the first thing we always do is lift up that lip and see what the condition of the gums and the teeth are. A lot of times what would, what would be most useful is to address that. Um, does your dog need a teeth clean? Do we need to see about using some tooth brushing? Um, there are some remedies we can try, things to add to the water to kind of help freshen the breath, but they are really just a temporary type fix and don't have as much efficacy if we don't deal with the underlying problem. So that would be my first thing that I would look at is to get into some good uh, oral hygiene where we're doing maybe some brushing, you can add some water additives to help keep plaque down in the mouth and uh, see how we can go with that route because that's really that, that dragon breath that you get. And I can only imagine, you know, that panting face sitting next to you for <laughs> hundreds of miles and, and dealing with that. So that would be now. Have you looked at your, your dog's mouth as far as to see what lurks below that gum? Well, actually, I had a I had a chow chow many years ago and she got a bone lodged in her throat. And it <laughs> oh, yeah. almost reminds me of that. But I don't. This dog doesn't hit any bones. Okay. I mean, it, yeah. it reminds me of that odor. Yeah, and and that is a nasty odor. I had my own dog who had a stick caught in his upper hard palate, and uh, you know you can you can kind of miss those things. So it sometimes it may start with a good oral exam. So if if you're not seeing anything obvious, I would suggest you know have your doggy checked at a veterinary office, have them do a good oral exam. Sometimes some of those things we don't discover until a pet is sedated or under anesthesia. But but I'm going to definitely say you know let's go to the basics of uh, working with some. Uh, good dental health and see where we can go from there. Sometimes also we'll look at diet. Um, if we have a pet who has a lot of gas and teeth are in great shape, um, in some cases a diet change can help kind of change some of the production of GI gas that they'll have. So that's one thing else that you might consider if you get that clean bill of health with the with the dentist there. <laughs> well, that might be it because, I mean, like I said, she's been on the truck ever since she's been eight weeks old and she knows what styrofoam looks like. 
she knows what a white napkin looks like, and she knows 90% of the time she will not eat. I've never seen a dog do this. I can put food down for her, put water down for her, and I can leave the truck. When I come back to the truck, that food has not been touched. She's really? waiting to find out if I bring her a treat. <laughs> if I bring her, if if I bring her a treat, she'll eat her treat. Then she'll gobble her food, but she will not touch that food till I, if, unless she sees I've got something for her or not. Yeah. Well, well, we can see who the, who's running the show here yeah. in your cab. That's that's called the good enough syndrome. When it, it, it's good enough, the food's good enough. If there's nothing else that's better, she'll eat it. We we have that well, problem you know, here. Don't get me wondering about that dog food. Yeah, which one? Uh, blue, blue buffalo. Now, how do you compare it to the? I mean, I've looked at the labels on every dog food out there, and it all seems about ninety nine point nine percent the same. Yeah, and really, it's just really a matter of some pets with different diets will acclimate differently to them. Um, so I'm not saying that bad breath is you know necessarily a bad diet. So before you do that, I like I said, I'd say pick up that toothbrush, pick up the phone, call your veterinarian for a good oral exam, and then start working on some brush, brush, brushing for those teeth. I'll go. I'll start that, and, I, and I'm actually headed home now, and I'm gonna be home for at least a week when I do get there. Could bad breath be the sign of something more serious going on down under? It can. Yeah, definitely. There can be some other health issues. And, you know, some pets can have kidney problems, liver problems, things like that. So that's why the mainstay is if you're picking up a bad odor from your dog's mouth, um, really work with your veterinarian. Help Have them help you figure it out if it is an oral health problem or if it could be a sign of something more serious so always a good uh, reason to give that jingle to your veterinarian well just flew right on by I want to thank mark gomer for joining us and brian barcheck with all his hundred thousand three hundred thousand snakes three hundred thousand snakes yeah. only been bitten a hundred thousand times <laughs> i thought it was thirty thousand was it thirty thousand sometimes i think i'm the only one on this show who listens to what people say who is that guy over there he keeps talking do you hear something thirty thousand snakes man now who counts them how does he know how does he know it's not twenty nine thousand nine hundred and eighty snakes don't forget to download the animal radio app for your iphone and android it's a free download you can listen to the show or ask our dream team your questions any darn time you please and we'll catch you next week right here for more Animal Radio. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. I love you guys. This is Animal Radio Network.